Hello and welcome to The Film Angle. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. And today we are going to do something a little different compared to the first few episodes. Uh, first few episodes? First, last, last few episodes. Uh, we are going to be doing a ranking, a top 10 ranking. Mm-hmm. What is the ranking, I hear you ask? We are ranking the 2023 Best Picture nominees for the Oscars. So this is our Oscar episode this year, ranking these 10 films that have been nominated and being able to discuss them that way and kind of, you know, give our thoughts on, you know, the Academy Awards. Yeah, so March 12th is the is the Academy Awards for 2023. We have a lot of really big movies this year. I think every sort of last five years, especially during the COVID period, we've had a couple of really good sort of... Uh, shining stars in the best picture nominee category but i think this year you know is probably the most competitive i have seen in some time and there's a real mixture of film and representation here some really exciting films that come from more of an indie background we have international picks and uh, we have some movies from really experienced auteurs like like spielberg um so yeah this is really interesting i mean this is a year where even avatar the way of water (laughs) breaks into the list and uh, i'm really yeah i'm really interested to see where you rank your top 10 um best picture nominees um we haven't conversed about this yet we've kind of kept our list secret to each other so it'll be interesting to see if we're on the same page or whether or not we have a completely idea what a good movie is or what (laughs) what isn't (laughs) Yes, yeah, and I, I think I, I don't know about how you rank these, Chris, but I rank them in terms of like how much I enjoyed them, not in or how much I think they're gonna like. Is my number one the film that I think's gonna win the Oscar? I don't know. It is a bit up in the air though, like you said this year. Like there's a good mix of films and a, and a lot more kind of uh, mainstream fun films as well. You know, you mentioned Avatar, there's Elvis, Top Gun, Maverick. And, uh, you know, the, the indie kind of phenomenon, uh, everything everywhere all at once. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Um, you can't really call it because if it goes to the f- film that many people think it might, that's a bit of a deviation from the Oscars usual kind of voting record. They don't usually go for something so different. Mm-hmm. Not to say that every film that's on this Best Picture nominee is exactly what my top 10 of the year, the last movie year, would be. No. Um, you know, <laughs> this is the Oscars at the end of the day. We're, we're kind of self-aware. Take a bit of a pinch of salt. It is what it is. But, you know, I am proud of, of, of the Academy for actually, for once, kind of putting an interesting mix into the bag here. There, there There's possibly, you know, one or two head scratchers on this list um, that we're talking about today that I, you know, I'll, I'll share with you as we get in. And I'm sure you'll have one or two that you don't completely um, are on board with either. But, you know, for the majority here, I find it really hard, at least from number five to number one, to really kind of shuffle them around. Um, and on a different day, they could be moved. So, um, yeah, pretty impressive stuff overall. Nice, nice. Well, let's let's get into it then, shall we? Let's uh, let's, let's let's go for it with our number ten ranking. My number ten film, Chris. Shall I? Get, I don't know. I, I I'll go for it. My number ten you film, Chris. Yeah, I'm is... laughing. I'm laughing because I know what it's going to be. Okay, and you have to tell <laughs> me. I guess I'll say it, then you say it, and then we'll, if they're not, if they're the same film, then we can just chat about it. And if they're not, then I don't know. We'll figure it out as we go along. Absolutely. 
my number 10 film is Women Talking. I am in agreement. <laughs> Excellent. So this is one of the... Basically, we'd, we'd pretty much seen all the Oscar films up until kind of February. The only ones we were missing were Women Talking and Triangle of Sadness, which are both films that we've seen within the last week, week and a bit. Mm-hmm. Done some catching up. I yeah, w- women talking like looked interested, sounded interesting, um, and then and then I watched it and it it really was not for me. It, to begin with, the color grading on it is pretty ugly. Hmm. As much as it has quite an interesting premise at the start, you soon realize very early on that this is gonna be <laughs> what it says on the poster. Uh, women talking, yeah. and that's not a problem. <laughs> just, just checking out that. That's that's not the problem that it's women, but it's the fact that we do not move from this barn rarely at all, and the discourse that is going on is very obviously topical, powerful, but it doesn't sound much more than the kind of average Twitter discourse, but maybe less, mm. less heated. Uh, is that how you feel, Chris? Yeah, I think you and I are going to find a, not much to disagree with on this one. Um, the first thing that comes to mind, you're right, whenever you you know put on this film is is the cinematography and the color creating is it is a bit is a bit mystifying in a way. You you understand that this is dealing with a heavy issue. You know, we're 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 talking about you know um, oppression of women in, in a sort of uh, closed off society, but and the, and the color grading and the grayness is supposed to reflect that. But to what effect? I mean, it, that only goes so far. I mean, the movie is just not very nice to look at. I mean, that that's kind yeah. of that's kind of a problem. You know, you can do gritty and downplayed and, or even use black and white photography to a beautiful degree to really showcase your subject matter. But this kind of seemed like it was trying to cash in on that sort of Terrence Malick sort of aesthetic without really kind of any thought behind it this this is adapted from a, a recently released novel and it it does have that feeling also of a stage play where it kind of reminded me a lot of when we uh, were discussing about the wheel where you know this is kind of a courtroom experience where it's set in the barn and it's uh, the whole story revolves around the aftermath of uh, a rape incident um, in a small sort of religious community in somewhere in, in middle America. Um, the aftermath is that one of these men is discovered after um, a rape incident. These incidents have been happening for years to the women and haven't been reported on. They are arrested, the men involved. All the other men in, involved in the community are sent to rush with them to the police station to get their bail. And they'll be gone for a 48-hour period. And in this period the women have to decide whether they stay and fight the men for whenever they come back and kind of see where it's all going to go. They can stay put and do nothing, or they can take the children um, and run away and try to find a better life where they don't have to be oppressed by these men. So it actually, it sounds like a it's a heavy subject and it sounds like it's going to have a lot of emotional heft in there. But yeah, it just had that sort of stagey quality to it where... Um, had that Oscar sort of, I don't like to use the buzzword because it's very charged, but it's the Oscar bit sort of performances were kind of overwrought and sort of 
kind of measured in a weird way. I think they kind of go for it. There's weird um, intersections of humor in here that kind of take away any emotional build that that was potentially there to happen. But yeah, I, I was a bit struggling with the performances here, considering that this stack is this this cast is stacked with players like Jesse Buckley or Claire Foy and Rooney Mara. I thought we were going to get a powerhouse of emotion here, and to be honest, I was a little bit underwhelmed on that front. Yeah, I completely agree, and it is interesting that they've basically taken like the best actress, best supporting actress nominations of the last couple of years, and you know almost made this kind of ensemble movie. And for yeah. me, it felt like the the subject's so heavy, but the way it's lit and framed feels like, like you said, Oscar bait. It, it feels like an SNL sketch. It feels like a parody of a film that's trying to be a deep Oscar film. And that's, that's, just, from, that's just from a visual point of view. Yeah. But then you have this very, uh, you know, heavy, heavy dialogue, but nothing nothing's catching nothing's nothing's gripping me it reminded me of student films student films that i've even made you know where a deep subject you have somebody on one side of of the discourse you have somebody on the other you and you have this kind of you know academic uh discussion get the brain juices flowing Mm. all that kind of stuff um and I just felt like, yeah, I, I, I could have seen myself making this film, not uh, not in any way as good, even though I know we dislike yeah. it. But you know, I could have seen <laughs> the narrative playing out in a in a student film somewhere. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm su- I'm surprised it's uh, I'm su- I'm surprised it's it's got a nomination here uh, because yeah, if it, it this feels like old school Oscars taking the you know the low-hanging fruit films that, sure. are, that are made just for them i don't know uh, it's a shame because it's got such such a great cast yes um, I, I, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about this but this is only one of the films that we haven't talked about in the podcast so far yes. um but the the movie it opens up and we are straight into the courtroom drama aspect of it already we haven't had any time to sort of build up a picture of what this community looks like, what time period it's set in, what exactly are the challenges the women are facing on a daily basis. We don't even get much of a face to any of the men. The only man that we really get to see the face of um, is August, who's played by Ben Wishaw. He kind of plays as their sort of, he's their mediator, note taker. He takes the minutes for their meetings and he's kind of seen as the anti- you know, everything that's going on wrong with our community. He is the, like a pillar, a beacon. The, that the, the not all men figure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And they say that in the film. And I did, I did kind of cringe a little bit. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's obvious. Yeah. Men. <laughs> but that's, and, that's the uh, thing. That, but that's what made me feel like it was just like social media discourse, mm-hmm. like things like that. I don't know. And, and it's that conceit that, sounds really good whenever you put into a novel that could work really really well and has that sort of bookish quality to it but whenever you that does that translate to the screen i don't think it does it kind of comes across as a little bit artificial and that's kind of the main problem um with women talking for me and and just like there's no tension this film should be running on time we there's a four it establishes there's a 40 at our period where these women need to really like knuckle down and decide where their future is going, where their children's future is going. And I didn't have any sense of time. I had no sense of tension. Um, 
it was just there were so many obvious missed opportunities that were just kind of ultimately kind of annoying. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I, and I I really did enjoy the first scene where they really kind of break the film down into the simplicity of the three choices, and and, mm-hmm. and I was on board. I wasn't on board with the visuals, but I was on board from that moment. Um, but as the film went on, um, it really dragged and just it didn't take me long with it. But yeah, number ten, women talking. Don't think it'll but get we, the Oscar either way. I think. Well, we are in the minority though, Alex. Like I'm seeing. It's true. You know, I, I was really excited to catch up with this film because I heard so many good things about it. A lot of people are really taken by it. Um, you know, I'd be interested to hear what listeners would think about the film, whether it caught them on a different level. But yeah, don't take our word for it. We're obviously <laughs> monstrously wrong. But no, I, I felt that um, I had a good I had a good mind frame going into this movie and it just didn't reach the expectations that I think Sarah Pauly, um had the intention of. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's um, it's it's rating quite highly on things like Letterbox and stuff like that, uh, which I which is why I find it even more interesting that we've both come out with this um, with a similar opinion. Um, yeah, interesting. It's pro- probably one of those films you got to find out for yourself. Don't just mm-hmm. take it from us. Should we get on to our number nine pick, Chris? Yeah, this kind of proves that recency bias isn't really a thing with me. Um, this, the other film, um, my number nine is Triangle of Sadness, um, which is the other film that I caught up with in the last week. Now, this was uh, a movie of experiences. There are some moments on here that are actually kind of near highlights of the year in terms of, you know, what they're trying to say. Um, they're in terms of its entertainment as well. I mean, it's kind of really insane stuff going on here. I mean, I, I don't even need to dance around the the extended um, boat sick scene, which um, a lot of people have already kind of cited. This is the most noteworthy part of the movie. Um, it's the only time I've ever watched a movie actually where I have felt nauseous watching a scene. There yeah. is a real yeah. I, I'm I'm serious. I've never watched a movie that I'm not. It's like it's a movie. I can my eyes can distinguish with the screen whether blood's real, whether sick is real. But the way that the camera, cinematography, and just the pure amount of body fluids that are on display yeah. in this movie, I was like, I was, I actually felt a little bit turned. There is there is stuff coming out of every hole, <laughs> every hole at one point. Some sometimes sometimes all at once, yeah, but at the same time. Exactly. And uh yeah, it's 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 pretty disgusting. Now, Triangle of Sadness uh is not my number 9. My number 9 is actually Avatar: The Way of Water. But I will okay. chat with you a little bit about Triangle of Sadness cuz um it 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 does come up a lot higher in my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spoilers it's not number 1. Um Triangle of Sadness I did like. I I I thought it was I thought it was a very good looking film great performances mm. I, I i laughed quite a bit i i i think it was it, it was pretty funny um director I, I don't know how you pronounce his name ruben ruben ostland or Oost, oostland maybe yeah I, I will go with that i think that sounds about right yeah which one uh <laughs> <laughs> both <laughs> okay ostland oostland i i i think he's known for his kind of like quite dark societal comedies i think Mm. this film maybe was trying to go down the route of um parasite where 
and 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 it does to an extent. It's it's trying to say something about society, the 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 gap between rich and poor, and how those p- power dynamics have played out over time, and and how they can switch around in an instant. Um, sure. When push comes to shove, uh, the only the only issue I take with that is that this film is not very subtle about it. It really hits you over the head with those themes. You mm-hmm. know exactly what it's going for. And it's quite a long film that is kind of repeating the same message constantly. But I had yeah. a lot of fun, and I and it was it was a gorgeous film to watch. Uh, apart from the extended uh, vomit and diarrhea scene, uh, <laughs> but I was still I was still kind of chuckling to myself uh, throughout that as well. I liked it. I liked it. Solid for me. But um, I'm I'm surprised it's 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 so far down in your list for me. Avatar: Way of Water. If we move on to my number nine for a second, uh, I think is a film that I'm also quite surprised is on this mm-hmm. list, considering we had qu- quite a lot of good films come out last year. I know it's an epic, and I know that it's got incredible visual effects and should definitely be nominated for that, and is and will win, no doubt. It's in, it's insane how they've done some of that. Um, but for me, it's it, it's not a great film. It is average right. to mediocre at best and uh in terms of my entertainment everything above this film i think i enjoyed more so you're talking about triangle sadness right no avatar way of water avatar the way of water um i see the the difference I, i'm going to talk about triangle sadness first why i put it on as number nine um the reason why i had this a bit lower than avatar was i did enjoy the extremities i enjoy the provocation yes the message is kind of overblown in moments the performances are really really interesting in this but the thing is about the movie it feels like three different movies at one it has a clear uh, three thirds that are completely you know geographically as well that the they're, they're mapped out in a certain way you've got the um the incident with yaya and her and her um boyfriend carl the first third of the movie, the the interesting discussions about um, gender, um, uh, sexual identity, and gender roles, and then we move on to the the yacht in the in the middle section, and then the island at the end where everything kind of gets you know upended and and like you said the power dynamic shift, and that was kind of the most interesting part of the movie for me. But the problem is those three sections feel so disjointed; it doesn't feel like a coherent experience for me. It felt like it, it, there was. 30 minutes that could have been taken off this movie very, very easily. You're right. The message was heard loud and clear. And, uh, but I don't know if there's really much else to say, you know, you kind of leave at the end of the movie. It's kind of, I turned to me and Lauren watched this together and it was kind of hard to kind of, kind of gather up our thoughts. We both knew the experience that we had. Um, it was interesting. The visuals will stay. It was a beautiful looking movie apart from that section. But it's 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 um, I don't know if it's got anything that kind of got under my skin, you know. I, I don't know if that's a little bit of you know. We talk about Marvel fatigue. We're getting a little bit of the the rich people uh, satire fatigue as yeah. well. We've had a lot of that in the past year. So that's kind of why I had it there. I still really like the movie, though, Alex. I don't want you get get me wrong. I, I thought it was a solid oh, no. experience. No, Avatar, I, I I get that. I get that. Avatar: The Way of Water. You know, I would have probably agreed with you come Christmas time, whenever this movie came out. Uh, I was really excited for this movie to come out. I'm a big fan of James Cameron. 
Avatar, I, I, I see it for what it is. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I do think it is a really interesting piece of, you know, world building. And I think it has, you know, Damon Chazelle and Babylon even thought that it was worthy <laughs> of worthy of showing in a, in a, in a montage of, uh, of how cinema has evolved over the years. But as the months go by, I kind of want to return to this world of Pandora. I, I, I kind of think I took for granted how amazing the world building is in Avatar The Way of Water. You're right. You know, it seems shallow to kind of dwell on the technicalities, but the technicalities are just insane, especially when we were talking about something like Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that we talked about last week. Although I enjoyed the world of that movie, it doesn't compare to the vision that James Cameron has conjured on the screen here. And there are moments of, you know, emotion. There are moments of, you know, real sort of stakes. There, it, it, it perhaps is bloated in its runtime. I think that goes without saying. It's three hours, 10 minutes long. But it's really exciting to see a movie like this, a genuine popcorn movie, to be on a Best Picture nominees list. So that's why I had a little bit higher, as that's kind of my excitement to see this sort of film. There you go. There you go. Shall we move on to our number eight? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number eight film is Elvis. What is yours, Chris? <laughs> it was Avatar, The Way of Water. <laughs> so I would like to hear what you thought about Elvis. Okay. Well, I'm 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 a, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Elvis. I, I I had a I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's got a brilliant standout performance from Austin Butler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very different film. It's maximalism to its kind of finest degree. Uh, you know, we we really are taking on a roller coaster of the extreme here, and I think I think it plays well. It's 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 not really the even though it has very biopicy tropes to it. It's not really the story of Elvis mm-hmm. the man. It's the story of Elvis, the myth, and Baz Luhrmann has really kind of leaned into that. And everything, everything is excess. Even the camera, the way it moves, is excess. The editing is excess. The music mm. is excess. Um, I, I, I think maybe that there are times when it really needs to slow down, and it doesn't, and it doesn't allow you to kind of emotionally connect. This is very much the comic strip version of Elvis's life, and we're not pausing for a minute, and that's fine. I, I like I like that. That's that's the film it is. That's great. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was a good film to me. It it mm. it wasn't elevated uh, to to a, a, an amazing film that you know could win an Oscar. Uh, but but I, but I had fun with it. I had fun with it. Yeah, I always get really excited when Baz Luhrmann comes back onto the scene. He's he he is a Marmite filmmaker. I've always been whenever I was kind of going through my you know early teenage years and kind of going through my my sort of high school back in Northern Ireland. Um, I was a big fan of his work. Moulin Rouge was one of those movies. You know, when you whenever you're a thirteen year year old, hopeless romantic, and maximalism is kind of your thing. You know, uh, it kind of worked for me, especially in, in, in Gatsby. I thought his recreation of uh, those sort of legendary parties in that era of 1920s um, New York was really, really well depicted. So I knew there would be no better sort of director to take on um, uh, an individual like Elvis, because you're right, he lived uh, a, a lifestyle of maximalism. And also, 
the iconography that surrounded Elvis, just like a figure like John Wayne or Marilyn Monroe. These are almost mythical creatures in, in American sort of modern pop history. So it's really hard to kind of tackle them with a sort of seriousness um, because I feel we are so distorted by our vision of how they've been presented to us our whole lives that it's really hard to kind of kind of put a serious touch on them. So it, it's it's I think it's the right way to approach this movie. I think anybody else would have... Um, maybe have missed the mark but i i thought them i thought there was emotion here i think it kind of the the whole point of it is yes uh, elvis wasn't you know a saint i think it, it it takes its time to actually acknowledge that he he was a bit black and white well he was a bit gray at times you know in terms of his behavior especially in his you know he ignored um the, the women in his family were probably you know sidelined to his sort of his naivety and his approach to fame. But by the end of the movie, I, I think it has a straight down the middle look at him. And you you have this appreciation just for how talented and how much of a one-off he was. And by the end of the credits, you know, when he sings Unchained Melody and that famous sort of clip of him, that was his last performance weeks before he died. Um, that's, that's a YouTube video I watched probably once a year. Um, that I think it earned its emotion there. But yeah, it's not perfect. I think it's got some like questionable moments. I think, you know, a lot of people diss the Tom Hanks performance. I actually think the Tom Hanks, um, Tom Parker performance is a lot of fun and one of the strengths of the movie. Um, it works in this version of the film. I, I, sure. I, I, I didn't mind it. I think if it had been a different type of film, maybe I would have found it too caricatured. But the whole film's a caricature. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. And the ac- and the accent that he does is not even not even a trait of the real Tom Parker's. It was really just a choice, but you know, it kind of just really works because you you know we got to vilify this guy. And it, the, the movie's not the movie's not you know t- t- telling you to take it as um, a tried and tested r- true life retelling of the story of Elvis Presley. It's mythical in its own right, just like the the famous pop singer. Nice, nice. Uh, obviously, we've spoken at length about Avatar. So, shall we? Mm. Shall we move on to number seven, or did you? Or did you want to add? No, no. Um, my number, my number seven, um, yeah. is All Quiet on the Western Front. We spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Perfect, because my number seven is also All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm-hmm. I think a movie that we both, again, appreciated and uh, really, really enjoyed, Solid. especially. Solid. Solid, yeah. I, I I think it nails the harrowing imagery of war. I think maybe that's because we've had a bit of a saturation of World War One movies in the last couple of years. Um, although this has its standout moments and it has its own unique perspective, I'm not sure it really has anything else to say that I haven't s- sort of seen in war films before. And that sounds like a really like that's an unfortunate sort of thing to say. It's not the film's fault that. You know, war films have been kind of one of the most tried and tested genres in in history and have been since, you know, ever since film has been created. But compared to so many exciting films that are on this list today that we'll be getting into, um, it just didn't do enough to kind of set itself apart from them. I, I appreciate this movie. I think it's I think it does the thing very, very well. But yeah, it's um, not one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. It's it's a solid film. Um, emotional in its visuals, maybe not so much with its characters, 
some interesting stuff going on. I really, I really enjoyed as a difficult world, but I liked, I liked the, uh, I liked the <laughs> yeah. film. I liked it. It's I, there's not much more to say. Um, I, in terms of the films put before it, I think it is a better put together film. You know, films that I've put on the list before, before this sure. one. Um, but yeah, it's it's not. It's not. It's not wow. It's not wowing. It's not yeah. a five star film. It's not. Fi- I, it's not a five star film. I do find it really interesting how it has managed to propel itself to being the kind of awards darling of the year in terms of its nominations. You know, it, we've seen it ha- gain the most BAFTA and Oscar nominations, yeah, which is really I, strange did, for where. Yeah, when it, did it get released on Netflix? Like it I, was, I don't even remember any fanfare for this film. Like it's almost garnered mm. more of a reputation. As it goes on, I mean, that's probably Netflix's fault. They're absolute shit at um, marketing their own films. But mm. I don't know if it was was it released on Remembrance Day. I might have been. I think it was a November release. Um, but it, it, yeah, it, it's strange as well. Um, it, it's really hard. I think it's a it's a movie. These type of movies, um, particularly war, tend to win a lot of public audience favor and i think they were able to kind of channel that and market it to that type of audience the people who subscribe to netflix and this is the sort of thing that they despite it being in german language this is the sort of thing they subscribe for on a friday and saturday night um particularly from people live you know ind- individuals who aren't particularly well versed or cinephiles or claim to be um, they tend to really go for this sort of thing. And I know a lot of them have really enjoyed um, All Quiet on the Western Front. But I think it's just interesting to where we are as a filmic society that the Academy has really went for this. Um, there are so many more diverse and interesting and kind of new wave films that are on this list um, today that I'm surprised that they aren't leading the competition. Are you saying that maybe this is the Ford v Ferrari slot of twenty twenty three? The the dad movie film. You've got to put oh, one dad on. not, movie not in to there. insult any dads out there. Um. <laughs> this is the dad movie. Maybe, I was going to say probably not my dad. Maybe I don't know. Well, it's, that's the thing. I think the Oscars always do have uh, an obligation to themselves. And I do feel like they do try to um, bring in the public audience a lot. You know, I, I they need their, their views. They need people to be following and getting into film as well and getting bums on seats. So they do like to kind of focus in around a, a movie that they think audiences will connect with. But then you think Top Gun Maverick, such a big hit, you know? Oh, that's um, the dad movie. That's, that's the dad. That's dad the dad movie. Well. And you know what? That's like, the you know, I think it's probably one of the the best. Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything. It's on this list anyway. But all yeah. quite on the Western Front, it's it's a solid experience. I I'm a little bit scratching my head as to why it is you know so revered. I don't think it's breaking new ground. There we go. Number six. My number six film is Ta. What's yours? Mm, my number six was Elvis. There we go. So uh, I have put Tar in number six because, as we have spoken about on a previous episode, definitely go back and listen to that one. Very good episode. Mm-hmm. I am confused and conflicted with my feelings on this film <laughs> because, on a surface level, and well, actually, more than a surface level, it's a amazing looking film. It's an incredible mm-hmm. sounding looking film. 
Um, I, I, it, you know, I'm not a music composer. I'm not in that world, but it feels like what? you're watching a film that's very, very much for that audience. Like it's so enveloped in that world and so articulate with it that you just like, did a music composer write this? Crazy to think that old Todd Fields isn't. Um, but yeah, there is incredible scripts, um, incredible looking film. It, it, does it come together in the end? I, I, I don't know. It's it's a very mm. tricky one. I, I, I just, Tar, I feel very conflicted about. After talking to you, I felt more positive. I think that's yeah. why it's up higher on the list than, than some of these other films. Um, but one thing's for sure. If it was me, um, Kate Blanchett would be winning Best Actress because I don't think there's a performance on this list quite like hers. Well, I find it hard to disagree with you on that last point. Kate Blanchett is, for me, with, without a doubt, the one of the the greatest performances of of the last year. But I will I will save a little bit on Tar because it is a little bit higher yes. on my list. Um, We'll be going to number five. I think five, we're getting into the territory now of the movies. I really, really, really liked bar none of these because I'm str- I, I struggled with this. At least two to five, I struggled to kind of jig them around because I think these are all great movies in their own right. Go for it. Go for your number five then. Go on. Well, my, well, my number five um, is The Fablemans. Um, which that I is would've... lower. That is lower than I thought it would be for you, Chris. Yeah. That is that. Oh, I'm very intrigued by your top five now. It's 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 hard because the Fablemans was no secret to anybody who knows me. Was without a doubt my most anticipated movie. Um, I will say this year because it did come out in the UK. Um, this year, so I I I'm so invested in Steven Spielberg. He's such an integral part to my childhood and my love for film. Just like so many other millions of people. I probably sound, you know, very, very common by saying that. But, you know, his talent as a filmmaker is just completely, you can't, you can't deny how, you know, how much he has done for the industry. You, you know, you're talking everything from Jurassic Park to Indiana Jones, you know, he, how, whose childhood wasn't in some way um, sort of affected by his film. So to actually get a movie about his background, um, about his you know, the origin of the Spielberg <laughs> movie this film should be called. Um, I thought it was incredibly moving. I think it is such a tender piece of work. I think it is, I think it's one, a reason why Spielberg, it's the only movie of Spielberg's to ever actually be submitted into a film festival. Um, it definitely has more of that quality to it. You're getting an art house film, but with the sheen, and the polish of Steven Spielberg experience. I thought it was great. The performances were brilliant. Michelle Williams kind of knocked me out the water. I know you weren't as keen on her performance, but I just thought it was such a great experience. It's so hard to not put this one higher. Um, it really, really was. It stuck with me a lot. I'm really looking forward to revisiting it, but there are so many other great movies to talk about in this list. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to get into the favorite ones too much because it does come up in my list, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. Big, big fan of the film, as you'll find out later. Uh, my number five film was actually Triangle of Sadness. Um, About just, a lot higher. It, than yeah, maybe, maybe it was recency bias. Um, but yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I had fun with it. And I think it's flawed. But, you know, maybe I'd take out the first part of the film. But the the, the everything from the yacht onwards... But even the first part's pretty good. I really like the uncomfortable argument. It's difficult. I, it's I, very I engaging. Very, I, was, 
I was a, I was a big fan of the film, and I really liked the guy who played the model boyfriend. Um, yes, um, Harry Dickin- Harris great. Dickinson. He was he was probably yeah. the standout for me as well. I don't think I've seen him in anything before. Um, just had a quick look. I've definitely seen him in something because he's he's actually in. I've seen three films with him in before. Not <laughs> recognized him in any of them. But um, I, I thought I, I don't know. I, there was something really engaging about his character. I, I, I thought he was a really standout performance in that film. I think he does um, a really good job of making you like him at the beginning of the movie and be on his side, and then completely hate him by the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, mm, I don't know if I was ever fully on board with him. I find I find he had a he had his I thought he had his finger on a pulse at the beginning, and then yes. that kind of was quickly going away <laughs> once you yeah. kind of learn a little bit more about him it's true that's true um let's move on to number four then my number four uh film on here is the banshees of inner sharon um <laughs> as is my excellent big fan of the film uh probably one of the kind of best all-rounders here like a pretty solid film in the visuals the acting the sound uh, the story, the writing, just a just a solid all rounder film here. Um, mm. Interesting, funny, and like you said, probably has a lot more going on under the surface as it's you know this kind of allegory for for Irish politics that completely goes over my head. But mm. uh, I had fun with the film. Yeah, I I think it, it couldn't have came at a better time for Martin McDonough. This film, I think. I've always enjoyed his movies. I'm a big fan, especially like many people of in Bruges. But I don't think he's ever been a, a creature of subtlety. Um, he is always done with you know outlandish black humor, um, married in with sort of dark, dark sort of emotional plot lines. But I think the Banshees is his real sort of his his first sort of subtle film that kind of lets the script do do the work. And there's a lot of very clever writing in this you can tell that mcdonough is such a skilled play right that is is his background you know he is um a broadway um award-winning playwright in his own in, in, in his own history but i think the performances are what really makes this thing sell i think colin farrell is just absolutely so likable so as a character good, yeah uh, you know i i really think that 2022 really was his year i think <laughs> you, you take his performances from the batman as the penguin um uh, as in after yang as his um sort of passion for tea making made me want to start <laughs> brewing my own tea um i never had that, that sort of want or desire before and then in banshees it's just a completely you know i'm so proud of colin you know an irish actor and just to see how far he's went and such a Aww. great performance and he's so he's so funny he is so sweet in this role and there's show and it's a movie about that there's layers to people that you didn't initially suspect and you know there's nothing wrong with being a nice person and i think that's such a you know there's so much more going on in this movie there's a lot of different messages but that's something that really hit home for me and i i i thought it was a really great piece of work and i think it's definitely worthy of revisits and i've only seen it the once but i know i'm going to love it even more the second time hence why it's so high up on my list Definitely. I agree with everything you said. Um, and just so Brendan Gleeson doesn't feel left out, uh, he's, he's also very oh. good in it as well. <laughs> he, hey, that Brendan Gleeson being good in a movie goes without saying. 
He's I think that's, the, uh, that's, yeah. that's the same with... Um, <laughs> with Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. That's the same with Colin Farrell for me. Well, I think Please everybody was so course. excited. <laughs> you know, what everybody, love, what everybody loves about In Bruges is their dynamic and how chalk and cheese they are, both visually yeah. and in terms of like what their preoccupations are, where they are in their lives and those characters. And I think everybody saw this as a reunion film for both of them. You've got two of the the strongest, funniest, and most thoughtful Irish actors that are kind of alive today. And they're back on the big screen in probably one of the best written Irish films in recent years. So, And yeah, I'm so excited to see that even overseas that people are really, really excited about this. The US audience seems to be, you know, every sort of review, whether that's on YouTube or written review online, everybody's loving this thing and it's so good to see yeah and it, and I, I won't lie it's probably my favorite martin mcdonald film since in bruges i've not really been a massive fan of his work since um so yeah for me this is almost like a return to form as well but uh i, I realize i'm very much in the minority there i think a lot of love for three billboards out there number three films number three you're going to disagree with me here um, I am a really big fan of uh, Tar. I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting movie, and it's the kind of movie that a director like Todd Field comes out of hiding after about fifteen years to make a movie like this. There is so much thought put into this thing, and it relies so heavily on a powerhouse performance like Kate Blanchett's in this that if anybody else was to conquer this script or take a hold on this character, I think it could have went into that SNL caricature um, sort of realm because it is it takes a lot of conf- confidence. This movie is kind of like, it, it's the film version of a dagger. It is so precise. It is it's always attacking. It is always in conflict. It's paranoid with itself. The character of Lydia Tarr is so interesting. I mean, she is a minefield of, of the good in people and the bad and it's a look at people in par, especially in the arts, which is really true to our time, especially in the last, in the past sort of five or so years where we really are discussing the Me Too, Me Too movement and looking back at our historical figures, um, cancel culture. And I think it addresses them in a, not in a, in a, in a, I know it all sort of way, but it sparks interesting conversation and it has gray views on everything. And I think it's a movie that will, I will be revisiting a lot. I thought it was a really hypnotic sort of experience. And even though it's over two and a half hours long, you know, I'm still thinking about it now. I think there's some images and some of the cinematography and use of music. It's just, it's so hard not to get it out of your head. And I think, you know, I've always been a fan of Kate Blanchett, but she really just takes it home. I mean, only she can have the audacity to wear her hair like that, to wear outfits of of, of this magnitude and prance around bossing people what to do and kind of destroying people's lives and, and you know, with, with such command that you're like, yeah, I, I completely buy this person. Um, it, it, I think it's a one-of-a-kind movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I struggle to put it anywhere lower than my number three. I um, I agree mostly with you, Chris, mainly about performances and stuff like that. I definitely wasn't won over as much by Tar, and it's really interesting to hear just how won over you were by it. I was not expecting to see it above the Fablemans on this list, um, but I think that goes to show just how much, um, how much you kind of invested into this film, um, because I know how much you love Fablemans as well. So my number three choice 
is probably the film that's gonna win. And I would okay. be happy if it went if it won. I would a lot of these films. Well, actually, no. Top top four. I'd be very happy if if any of them won. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be upset. No. Every, everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, it is kind of the film that seemingly came out of nowhere has taken the world by storm. So many people love it. Um, so many many people have really kind of emotionally connected to this film. Um, I am somebody who really liked it. I don't think I was. Um, I don't think I was swept up in the emotion of it as much as some people, but um, I, I I can see why it is deserving of a place on this list. And if it was to win, which it probably will, I'd be more than happy um, to see something so creative and different and diverse and genre specific as well. I, I think, um, hmm. you know, I think it'd be a really interesting win for the Oscars. Uh, but yeah, everything everywhere all at once is my number three. Yeah, it's really it's really hard for me. It's it it is. I'm not gonna. <laughs> well, it's a bit of a spoiler already, but um, it is uh, my number one movie of the year. Um, in terms of the best picture nominees, I think it is just everything you've said already. It is just an atom, absolute maddening cataclysm of ideas, creativity. But it isn't just those technicalities. It isn't just isn't it wonderful that they've put so much on the screen. It is tied down by really an emotional plot line with with the family dynamic, and it marries quite an ensemble of characters together to really make them all sing off the same hymn sheet and make you connect with a story that actually is quite thoughtful and really kind of tugs in the heartstrings. By the end of it, you really want to see this family and these characters do well, regardless of what timeline they're from. Um I can't say that for for Marvel as a parallel to to in terms of multiverse movies. Um, it's really cool. Really, way did the Daniels um, to show Marvel how it's done with a with a percentage of the budget to boot as well. Marvel uh, definitely did not see everything everywhere all at once <laughs> becoming the multiverse film of the year. There there is there is no way they saw that one coming. So, uh, but yeah, no good good. Good for the the Daniels. Um, oh yeah, the directors of the film. Uh, I'm, really, I'm really happy for them and how well this is kind of how how well this has gone down with with the general audiences. Yeah, I, I'm. I was surprised to actually see it so high on your list, actually, Alex, because I I knew you really really liked it, but I didn't know you liked it this much. So I'm actually pretty pleased to see it this high on your list. I think it's a remarkable film. I think if this movie year wasn't so stacked, I haven't rewatched anything really because we've had so much to catch up on. Any other year where it was a little bit more stagnant, especially over COVID, if this was released, I probably would have already seen this movie about ten times. There is so much to pick up on this, especially if you're an avid movie fan, he's going to pick up all those little nuggets of information. I'm sure there's loads of things that I missed um, as I'm still kind of going on my cinematic journey and I will be for some time. There is so much to love in this film. And um, yeah, I think the performances are great. I wouldn't be upset to see this, this baby win the top prize at the end of it. I think it'd be a really cool sort of precedent set for the Academy going a little bit offbeat and showing that no matter what your background is, um, no matter what your subject is in terms of your film content or whether it's a really big budget or whether it's a really small budget, you can win an Academy Award for Best Picture if your movie is damn good enough and connects with people as much as this movie does. Definitely, definitely. And uh, yeah, for you, Chris, is this maybe one of the first years where the film that you want to win is probably going to be the film that wins? 
it probably is. I mean, I'm probably jinxing it right now. Um, but it was a really toss-up between the two. Like I said, your number two was everything everywhere all at once. Uh, my number, my number two actually was Top Gun Maverick, and I was really between the two. I think, you know, tell me at the start of the year that Top Gun Maverick was going to be a Best Picture nominee. You know, I I know Tom Cruise yeah. these days. He doesn't pick projects lightly. You know, he he throws himself into things. Um, and we know his work with Christopher McQuarrie on the Mission Impossible movies is just so. I'm I'm in love with the Mission Impossible movies. I can't wait for Dead Reckoning. But you know, Top Gun, it has its place in in terms of the '80s pantheon, and we all know that it's it's this you know cheesy men's health magazine <laughs> stretched into a movie for for uh, an hour and a half, and it's it's a lot of fun. But is it you know? the quality that this sequel manages to be. This is a legacy sequel that, you know, manages to be so much better than the first. And But without making the first movie look worse, it manages to kind of honor the first movie as well as be better. It, it's just so incredible, the achievement that they've done in terms of marrying the special effects, the cockpit effects that are in this movie, where they actually are really in these these fighter jets and you have a real sense of uh, of scope of where they are, um, the tension is really well earned. It's kind of like you know Mad Max that came out a few years ago. Um, George Miller was really able to establish um, a real sense of threat and the tangible, earthy grittiness to this world because he used real vehicles. And this movie does the same thing, and it just proves that it makes so much more of a difference whenever you put people in real sort of stake in, in, in situations. And Tom Cruise is always showing us that it's worth going the extra mile to really achieve, make that shot matter, put yourself in real danger. I'm sorry that I'm, I'm actually permitting that you should put yourself in danger for a film, but he proves that in terms of action scenes, it really makes a difference. And this movie is great. I think it's just the ultimate popcorn film. It was exactly the right time post post COVID where everybody needed a little bit of a lift up. And it's a movie that everybody can enjoy. You know, it shows that, you know, art doesn't need to be, you know, um, slow, methodic, or profound. It can be big popcorn entertainment. And I was really on board for the ride. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to mess up the order of things here. Uh, we've messed it up a little bit anyway. Uh, my number one film is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, it's not my number two. My number two is The Fablemans, but I'll get to that in a minute just because we're on the Top Gun hype. Top Gun is uh, excellent. It is, it, it's redefining what blockbuster cinema is what it was and what it should be and although okay is it the most kind of simple story is it but it's it's done so well and it is the most entertaining film of the year for me it's the film i connected with the most i think i'm I'm looking at all these films on this list and i'm thinking the only film that i shed a tear to this year was top gun maverick it hits every (laughs) emotional point um it it is it is epic and sweeping and soaring um i like you said it improves on the original i was not a original top gun fan and it just holds quite an emotional place in my heart now this this film was just absolutely excellent and just Mm -hmm. yeah it was if if you're gonna award a film then i think this film is cinema it is it it is is the definition of entertaining blockbuster cinema and um yeah i I wasn't expecting to see it on the nominations even after watching it i was not expecting it to see it on the nominations but hell if it won i i would be happy 
um it it is it is it is quite the ride it is quite the ride uh my number two film fablemans uh you know we've we've spoken at length about the fablemans and i agreed with everything that you said um still surprised that it's your number five chris uh a massive kind of emotional connection to this film um you know being filmmakers and film fans well i'm not really a filmmaker i want i wanted to be a filmmaker at one point we're both big film fans There's time. the There's podcast time. is scratching that film itch that, that that i don't have as much as i used to but you know, this film was all about being creative. Um, but at the same time, it wasn't really about that. It was about Spielberg's family and he really opened up to us. Um, yeah. Somebody who's kind of, you know, his films have been with us from, from the day we were born, essentially. Every year, every other year, there's a Spielberg film. And a lot of them, especially early on, were the films that we grew up with. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think you can so, always tie tie his movies to like a family event you know whether it's christmas or new year's or like Easter, you know anytime families are on and people put some a, a channel on to put a movie on the background it would always be a spielberg movie it was always christmas time et always comes to mind every time it was christmas time there was always et on in the background so it's like it's like somebody who helped rear you as a child as well yeah absolutely absolutely and and for him to be this open and honest with his own story and his own background um very yeah. honest surprisingly so yeah it, it it was yeah it was it was beautiful it's a it's a really really <laughs> beautiful film and uh yeah it's it's number two it's number two for me so can i can i put a little bit of spanner in the works now we've had our number, yeah, yeah. our top 10 quite interesting to see that they're both very very similar lists actually in fact um apart from one or two mixing and matching a little bit i'm sure for a lot of other people they'll have it in a completely different order but if you were to hypothetically pick a movie that didn't get nominated this year for for best picture what would you have put in this list what would you have put in as the best picture winner this year if it was the world of alex uh, as a nominee or as a winner Nominee or winner? What do you what do you think? I mean, should obviously be my favorite in, film in this list. My favorite film of last year was obviously the worst person in the world. But I think because of festival screenings and stuff, I don't think it would be eligible. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, my second favorite's in there, which was Top Gun Maverick. But do you know what? One of the most powerful, um, interesting films of the year was not on there. Um, and very much deserving so it did get a best actor nod which is great but for the amount of love that this film has got and surprise and emotion and connection after sun should be on that list um yes easily um how after sun's not on there and films like have tough way of water are, I have no <laughs> yes idea. Okay, okay, that actually, that makes my pick of Avatar to be as high on the list as it is. Um, that kind of dilutes it a little bit, because I completely agree with you. Um, I've got not much more to chime in on there. If it was my list too, After Sun, Without a Doubt, is, it is my favorite film of the last year. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I got a Best Actor nomination anyway, because that was, that was an undeniable performance. Um, I just wanted to shine light on it because I think if anybody's listening to this and maybe just following the Best Picture nominees and maybe not venturing much outside of that list, please seek out a movie like After Sun because it, it needs all the attention that it deserves. Excellent. Well, 
let's let's wrap it up um but i with with, with one final question i guess um mm-hmm. when this when this episode comes out we're not we're not very far away from the oscars actually happening who's your pick for best film like who do you think is actually gonna win it mm. it is really really hard i think academy is so based on momentum the but we are getting to that period now in the last sort of few weeks gearing up towards it i do think everything everywhere all at once will win it and i do think it deserves it as well yep then i i I feel that i feel the same way i feel the same way and um i'd be very happy to see it so fingers crossed uh i guess we'll will we know by the next episode no because i think we record before the oscars the next episode so episode after that We'll know and we'll let you know our thoughts. Uh, but we're gonna <laughs> See wrap how up. We got it. <laughs> yeah, but we'll wrap up this episode now. We hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure to go follow us on our Instagram and our TikTok. Who knows? Maybe we'll be talking about the Oscars there, um, and you'll get a, a quick snapshot, a snapshot of our thoughts uh, going forward before before the uh, before the next episode after the next releases. Uh, but something like that. This has been the film angle for this week. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. Have a good night, people. Bye.